We're certainly honored, aren't we, this morning to be able to assemble on the first day of the week to do so with the express desire to please our Heavenly Father, to bring before Him a worship service so much deserved by Him, and one that certainly can also be a blessing and benefit to each and every one of us. You may have noticed, certainly as you think about the lesson today, life is not fair. We're going to cast a spotlight on some thoughts relative to that in just a moment. But as we prepare for that, I'd like to... uh, make a couple of statements, announcements, reminders, if you will. First, as Brother Lester mentioned a moment ago, let's certainly keep very diligently in not only our prayers, but also the activities of our heart about our upcoming meeting. Two weeks from today, that meeting begins. Tim McHenry is certainly making diligent preparation to be with us, preparing the lessons. May you and I do our part to invite, encourage, to ensure that those precious souls will be here who will be blessed and benefited in addition to ourselves as He brings those gospel messages. And not only that, yet another invitation I would wish to extend. The gospel meeting at Heron's Chapel begins tomorrow, and yours truly has been invited to be the speaker. So I would certainly be delighted if you'd come and encourage and support not only myself, but that, that meeting, those brethren there at Heron's Chapel would be delighted to, to, to see you and me as we encourage support, and uphold the message of truth. Tomorrow night through Thursday night, 7 p.m., so please keep that at least in your prayers if you would. The opening slide is one that certainly is no great revelation, but it is a simple truth. One of the strongest senses, I suspect, that motivates the lives of most all individuals is a sense of fairness. Even a little child when that child perceives that something in advantage or benefit, though the circumstances are identical, are received by another, that child almost immediately will react, that isn't fair, or that's unfair. And yet as we grow older, there is still, of course, a rather notable sense of equity and fairness, and nobody likes to be disadvantaged. No one likes in identical circumstances to be on the lesser end of reception. Life is not fair. Well, that's the title of the lesson. You might appreciate that there are certainly many things in life that come our way that we would never ask for ourselves. Sickness, challenge, disaster, catastrophe, the list goes on and on. And maybe you and I on occasion might begin to feel as if the unfairness of life has reached a point of overwhelming nature. I thought we might do well to revisit some Bible characters, and we'll cast a spotlight on Joseph. Be turning to the book of Genesis, if you would, and let's study for today and tonight some features of the life of Joseph, reflecting on that title, Life is Not Fair, and using it to help you and me in a realistic and real way of practical blessing and benefit. And so it is. Let's retrace some of the events that were such vital features in the life of that gentleman named Joseph. The scene begins, at least for you and me, like this. Jacob had 13 children. You and I remember there were 12 boys and one girl. There were four different mothers, admittedly, but nonetheless, Jacob was the patriarch of that clan, that group. And of those children, there was one of them that he loved more than the other ones. At this point, reflect with me on Genesis chapter 37. As you turn to that place, we begin to appreciate this. 
of those 12 boys, isn't it so that Joseph was his favorite? The language of verse 3 is exceedingly telling. You'll appreciate rather well, correct, that. You notice of those sons, Joseph was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. Now, those wives, of course, Rachel was the one whom he loved the most in the sense that he first wanted her hand in marriage, but her dad deceived him and gave him her sister first. And yet, Jacob worked, of course, additional years and finally had the hand of the one that he wanted, Rachel. Rachel was barren, and eventually, however, God opened her womb and she bore him a child, and it was a boy, and his name was Joseph. That oldest son was daddy's favorite. That oldest son of Rachel was Jacob's favorite. The language reads like this. Verse number 3 of Genesis chapter 37. As this description is given, allow it to rest in your heart. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. A coat of many colors was thus given to this child. The others weren't given one. They weren't even offered one, apparently. But Joseph received one. This coat of many colors, as you and I have often pictured it, I suppose the King James translation will lead us to imagine that Jacob had made some kind of garment, multicolored and various in that character. The Hebrew word really doesn't suggest that that may have been what it was. The word literally means a long garment, a tunic-like thing. If you can perhaps imagine what some of ancient royalty may have worn, like the particular kings, if you please, especially in Egypt or nations like that, that kind of garment where it again extended the full length may more have been like what Jacob gave to Joseph. Be that as it may, it distinguished Joseph amongst the children. It gave him a position, and they obviously understood that Joseph was dad's preference. In light of that, may I ask you to consider what favoritism led to in that family. Would you be impressed with what difficulties it brought, what challenges it set before them? Because you and I just noticed verse 3. Look at the next verse. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. That favoritism, you see, that dad directed toward Joseph, maybe dad didn't appreciate in it the ultimate evil fruits it was going to bear, but his brothers, they hated Joseph for this. And the text even says they were not able to peaceably speak to him. Conversation was broken off. They weren't able to enjoy, if you please, family consideration. These brothers had a strong disdain for their own brother. It might well be in light of that we begin to notice a family that, of course, had broken down. And dad's favoritism played a large part in it. Now, I would ask you to consider this wasn't the first time that that kind of favoritism had been seen. Remember... Jacob himself had understood a bit about this in the family in which he himself had grown up. Think about Isaac. Isaac had his favorite, and it was Esau. Rebekah had her favorite, and it was Jacob. One more time, even in the generation previous to this, 
there had already begun to be planted seeds of hardship and difficulty. And ultimately, we remember how that even led Rebekah to try to fool her own husband as she encouraged Jacob to do what was needed to be done to get the family blessing away from Esau. You and I have come a generation later than that, though. We're now studying about Joseph. Would you consider this with me as lesson number one? Partiality in a family. Now, I entitled this lesson, Life is Not Fair. Let's think about this from two different perspectives. First, what about Joseph's perspective? Joseph didn't have any choice in being Rachel's oldest son. That was not his prerogative. He just happened to be that child. Joseph didn't ask for this partiality and favoritism. But he had to deal with it once it was given to him. It remains, of course, the case in life on that favoritism or partiality or advantage in some way might be extended. And you and I might be the one that receives it. How do we handle it? Let's look at some of these observations. First of all, as we think about a child, as we think about what develops in a family, might you and I understand this, as a child develops and grows, as a child matures and reaches a point of appreciation relative to the ongoing matters and character of life, favoritism, partiality can be a life-changing and devastating thing. I've tried to highlight it like this. A child in that maturing years, in those times when that child has mentality that's developing and growing in his or her perspective and outlook on life is being etched when there's partiality shown then, especially against them. It can be a very, very hard thing and it may well set a course for life that will be difficult to overcome. And therefore, parents, the Bible is very clear in giving all of us some very clear instruction. We are blessed with children. They are truly an heritage of the Lord, Psalm 127, verses 1 to 3. And inasmuch as that's true, we're admonished to understand them and love them and provide for them and take care of them. But as we do so, their personalities are distinct. Even children of the same parents due to the genetic character by which God brings about that conception in life, they'll be different. Their understandings, their perspectives, the things in which they have their greatest passion of life, they likely won't be the same. But we as parents must never, ever play the favorite. Look what happened when Jacob did it. Joseph was given the coat of many colors, and it was clear to the brothers that Dad liked him best. And in so doing, they hated him. They hated Joseph, weren't even able to have conversation that was peaceable in his presence. You'll notice among those things, you and I can remember passages like this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. To quote Proverbs 22, verse 6, Aren't we reminded then that we're to train them up? Does that training include favoritism and partiality? Certainly not. Because notice these following observations. Parents are especially told not to provoke your children to anger. To, in fact, provoke them to wrath. That can often be a challenging thing in a family, can't it? 
one child has a disposition that perhaps is more easily appreciated or seen or at least is closer to my own. And maybe that's not so of the other child or children. But nonetheless, we as parents must ascertain those ways in which we don't play favorites in light of that which is destructive. You'll notice that when Jacob did that, Joseph was hated by them. And you and I know that before this lesson, in fact, the one tonight too ends, there are going to be many casualties to this. You'll notice in Colossians 3.21, fathers are given an especial commandment. To those fathers, it's, it is there said to provoke not your children to anger. What would make a child angry? Have you ever wondered about that? What might have been in the mind of the Holy Spirit that would in fact produce and provoke and lead to anger in the character of a child? I suppose there might be a number of things come to mind, but certainly one thing almost guaranteed would be this. When that child is in fact treated in a fundamentally different way than another sibling, simply because of things not to his choosing, that would lead a child to anger. Thus, as parents, may we ever be careful and mindful to not be given to partiality in the family this way. You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, doesn't it remind us of our Heavenly Father? And aren't you thankful that God is no respecter of persons? Every one of us in this room are different. Even in the Christian life, we are different in that we have different talents and capabilities. What if God played the favorite? What if He selected one or more of us in very carefully prescribed ways and despite anything to the contrary, avoids another one? We wouldn't have much respect for a God like that, would we? We wouldn't look upon Him in the wholesome, honorable, and true way that He is. Romans 2.11 declares once and for all time, God is no respecter of persons. And when Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10... It was that very thought that prompted a very critical part of the sermon Peter delivered that day. We know in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God loves those who do righteousness. He doesn't care about the color of my skin, the degree of my educational attainments or lack thereof. It is not his concern or care about the other features of those matters of life. When you and I as parents then a wish to appreciate the same, may we never forget what was brought about in Jacob's family due to his favoritism and partiality. But let's carry that thought even further and make this application. Because partiality, this favoritism, if you will, can be very damaging and it can be rather hurtful in other settings of life, even besides the family proper. So far as you and I have thought about that, we've made that application and we've seen what it did in Jacob's children. What if you and I ask about its application in the church? God has a family. It's the blessed church of His Son. And you and I understand so well that here at the Pippin congregation, we are a member of that family in that we are a local body, a local congregation of the Lord's people comprised of men and women and boys and girls, individuals who assemble at these announced times, and who, of course, comprise that which the New Testament would have us to do and be. 
But along that line, might we ask, does the New Testament, does the Bible at large make any statements about partiality and favoritism in the family? And if so, are they positive? Are they good? Or on the other hand, are they things that are problematic? Might I invite you to consider 1 Timothy 5.21. Near the close of that fifth chapter, Paul addressed these rather scintillating remarks to Timothy. Remember that Paul had urged Timothy in this regard. Notice with me please chapter 3 verse 15 before we look at that fifth chapter. In that passage, Paul simply wrote, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, Timothy, here is a means of behavior, and you ensure that it's planted there at the church at Ephesus. You ensure that they appreciate and they learn to behave like this. Now that included a number of things like the appointment of men to serve in a proper way as elders, taking care of widows when necessary. But chapter 5, near the close of it, brings us to highlight this. There were behaviors in the family. Paul told Timothy, make sure this never happens. Of point is this, do nothing with partiality. Timothy, as you are a preacher of the gospel, as you are an individual who in fact aids in the ongoing matters of the gospel in this area, don't be motivated by nor allow partiality to be a considerable part of that which is what you do. Now if, what, if that was true for Timothy, isn't it still true for us? a congregation of the Lord's people. And you and I remember it led to problems in Acts chapter 6. The Grecian widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Whether that was purposeful or not, the text doesn't say. But however it was, they perceived there was injustice going on here. There was favoritism. The Hebrew widows were being cared for, but they weren't. In the church, we must be mindful and careful of circumstances like that as well. As you and I think about our behavior, are we impartial when it comes to our fellowship and our love? In James chapter 2, verse 1, we are expressly told we're guilty of sin if we show favoritism to a rich man in terms of the assembly, but we don't to a poor man. James even at length describes if a rich man, a wealthy man arrives and we say, sit here, and a poor man comes in and we show him no interest, we've become guilty of sin. If our motivation is only something along that line, we've erred. Does that characterize myself or you? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not to be practiced with favoritism, at least in these ways. And we've even seen the matter planted in the family of Jacob long ago with issues and problems that that in fact developed. Let's read even further. As you and I think about life, and the characteristics of it in that way. Love is to be without hypocrisy. It's to be without dissimulation, Romans 12 verse 9. I say all of that to ask us near the close of that slide to note this. There are cases like this, life isn't fair. Joseph didn't ask for the favoritism from his dad, but he received it. And sometimes today you and I might be placed in a circumstance in which we are benefited due to the partiality of another, but we haven't asked for it either. After all, when a child is born, 
Joseph had no way of asking to be dad's favorite, but he was. The greater matter in those cases might be this, how do I handle it if I'm in that circumstance? First thing might well then be, look at some of these passages. It is exceedingly important not to allow that partiality and favoritism to dwell up in ourselves to lead us to feelings of arrogance or pride, to inappropriate feelings of our superiority over others, for that would be wrong. You might appreciate in Genesis 41 verse 16, a majestic statement is made about Joseph. Remember, here's the very one that we are currently describing. He was dad's favorite. Partiality had been shown to him, but did he, let, did he allow it to affect him? It appears he did not. Look at chapter 41, verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, many things have happened in the life of Joseph from our reading until that chapter, but nonetheless, Joseph was quick to give the credit and the glory to the God of heaven. It doesn't rest with me, he said. It rests with a power higher than myself. Are you and I motivated in humility to the point that we always desire to keep our proper placement in service to God? In addition to that passage in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before a haughty spirit goeth before a fall. Aren't we told in that passage as well as others that that kind of circumstance is certain to ultimately come back to bring some very bitter fruit? Maybe two last verses would be these. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, as that was quoted and applied, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The very moment that you and I begin to allow those kinds of favoritisms that others heap upon us to go to our head, we are aligning ourselves for a very serious and perhaps catastrophic fall. For isn't it true that in Philippians 2-3, Paul admonished that church in Philippi to look with care and in love upon the things of others. Don't esteem yourself better than them. Let me say then, if we find ourselves in a position of favoritism, let's receive it in the way that we should. But as parents, may we never be guilty of giving it like in the way Jacob did. As you and I close that slide, it brings us to make application of some more features of this record of Joseph. For let's read on in Genesis 37. The favoritism has already been etched in our reading. But back in that chapter, the description is now given like this. Verse number 5 reads, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and, the, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. And Joseph began to reveal to them these dreams he had had about sheaves that bowed before him, about the sun and the moon and the stars that again bowed before him and did obeisance. When Joseph told that dream to his parents and to his, uh, and to his brothers, they hated him the more, or at least the brothers did. And you'll notice again the language, they hated him the more. They already had a disdain for him. They already were unable to speak peaceably to him. And now that was only increased. Are you beginning to get a sense that the family dynamic in Jacob's family wasn't particularly good? 
it had broken down and it was terrible. As you look further on that slide, though, you remember how that came about. In this chapter, the time came that the brothers were off tending the sheep. Father's sheep, they were out taking care of it, but Joseph had stayed behind. You'll notice in staying behind, Dad, though, did give Joseph this instruction. You go and see how my other boys are doing. See how the sheep are doing. And so Joseph proceeded to do that. You remember that he found them at Dothan. Oh, what began to occur. The brothers saw Joseph arriving from a distance. And I'd like to read just so we can hear again how they reacted. This is Genesis 37 beginning in verse number 19. They said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Can you imagine brothers saying that? Here their own flesh and blood arriving from a distance and the first thought that occurred to them was the dreamer is coming, let's kill him. Then we'll throw his body into a pit, and then we'll see what will become of those dreams. Their hatred had reached the point that they were prepared to act upon that in the committing of murder. May I again say that the favoritism that Dad had shown had ultimately exploded and ballooned to the point that it now had reached this level. May you and I as parents understand that seeds of favoritism or of other evil planted like that may ultimately bring far more fruit than we ever expected. It certainly happened here. It's, too, a rather sad reflection upon what had become of that family. And you'll notice in chapter 42, verse 21, I'd like to emphasize the following statement to you. As you and I think about the brothers and we think about they're wishing to commit murder. In later years, how did they think about this? Did it haunt them? Did it rest on their mind? Did they toss and turn at night because of it? Verse 21 of that chapter reads like this. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Now that paints an incredibly dramatic picture. Remember, years and years had passed from the time that they had wished to do this to Joseph. And yet all those years later they said, We heard the cries and the anguish that he expressed. He begged us not to do it and we did it anyway. Don't you know how often they woke up at night and heard the cries of their brother? Can't you imagine the many times that they themselves were haunted by that fact? They even admitted it. One more time, can't we see? When evil like that is planted and the difficulties that come with it, oh, how it can change a life in ways that are so troubling. On our slide, as you and I then close that slide, we remember that Reuben, the oldest brother, made a suggestion, let's don't kill him. And so it was that he was cast into a pit and shortly thereafter sold to a band of strangers sold to those who in fact were nomadic traders and slave traders of the day. They still disliked their brother and hated him so much they sold him with the intent to never ever see him again. Can you imagine a family like that? 
where there is such a disrepair, such a breakdown that they don't ever want to see each other again. That's what the brothers hope for. As you come to that particular slide, might we pause to notice that, of course, this was wrong. The brothers were committing sin in this. Those kinds of thoughts, whether it was in relation to killing Joseph or even in this desire to do with him as they did, that wasn't right. 1 John 4.20 tells us that. Maybe it is in fairness. We can then say this. You and I are encouraged, are we not, to think about a family in this regard and even the implication and the practical one at that. I've entitled that at the top, Behaviors in the Family. Wouldn't you be quick to say that Jacob's family was a rather great mess? They hated their brother. They wanted to get rid of him. They were hopeful and desirous of not seeing him again. They had no concern or care as to what would happen to him. They sold him off to a band of strangers, headed off to a far distant place, and seemingly were rather happy about it. Maybe it is, in light of those things, we can at least think in passing again about life is not fair. May I ask you, did Joseph deserve this? Did Joseph deserve being treated this way? I know he had been Father's favorite, and I understand that, that but still, was life fair for Joseph? I think we'd all agree. How would you feel to be forcibly cast away from your family because of a decision not your own, taken away to a far distant place and cast aside? It wasn't fair for this to have happened to Joseph. It may be that you and I are facing things day by day that aren't fair. Nobody asked to get cancer. Nobody asked to have a heart attack. Nobody asked to be forcibly faced with matters. And it isn't fun at work when the boss's nephew gets the raise and you don't despite the fact you've got 15 more years of seniority than he's got. Life isn't fair. We do a great deal of disservice to ourselves if we expect it to be. God never promised us it would be either. We are told in the Word of God that just as it was in the days of Joseph, He will provide us the strength to endure things, and He will provide us the necessary groundwork of faith to endure. But He never promised that from our perspective it would be fair. Surely in light of those things, notice what happens at the bottom of that slide. We'll use these to close our lesson this morning and really prepare us for the continuation tonight. When we find that things in life have the appearance of unfairness, may we first appreciate the following. May we not allow it to lead us to sin. May we not allow it to lead us, you see, to act in ways that 1 Thessalonians 5.15 would encourage us to think about. When Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he told them, Repay no man evil for evil. If someone stabs you or me in the back... We mustn't stab them in the back. Rather, we should appreciate that it's very unfortunate the decision that they've made. And it hurts us to think about the injustice that may appear so readily seen, but we mustn't allow it to make us sin. But not only that, you'll notice that Matthew 6.34 was our lesson text of the day today. As you think about tomorrow, 
Aren't you impressed with what Jesus said? Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The things that happen in life often seem so unfair to you and me. From the perspective of families, individuals, nations, or otherwise. And may we think then in light of those things of the life of Joseph. Now there's much more to be said, so I'll encourage you to come back tonight at 5.30. We'll study more about him then and see what else about the unfairness of life can be so helpful to us. But Joseph's example of Genesis 45.1 is the way I'd like to finish the lesson. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Those same brothers that sold him into slavery, those same brothers that hated him so, the time would come not many years later when they stood before him and they didn't recognize Joseph, but he knew them. And they were begging him for, for grain. They were begging him for sustenance. And Joseph ultimately made himself known to them and not only provided for them, but brought them to Egypt and cared for them all the rest of his days. Tonight, or rather this morning, life is not fair. May you and I then live understanding this truth. Fairness will be received at the day of judgment and thereafter, not before. Today, are you a Christian, faithful unto the Lord, living a life dedicated to His cause, excited about all the truths and the wonderful nature of the Word of God. If you are not, why not let today be the day? If there's an alien sinner in this audience, one who would be in need of making an initial response to the gospel, may you realize there's a loving group of people here who would encourage you and who wish to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess His name and be baptized. If you have begun that walk of faith, but you haven't been true, come back today to your first love. Don't let hypocrisy or partiality due to others separate you from the God that loves you. If we could pray to God on your behalf, we'd be delighted to do it today. We would encourage, invite you to come, and do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.